whatever y'all did on a back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? Because I kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. It's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? because we got more to do so welcome to the wolves watch podcast i am dan radke and i am joined as always by ricky jim bruno and we are here we were the last episode was a play in edition officially this is the playoff edition we did win the oklahoma city game so we are moving on absolutely Ooh-hoo! we are moving on to play denver on sunday we are recording this the wolves played on friday night uh this is saturday morning so it's all pretty raw, pretty fresh. Uh, Denver series one eight starts tomorrow night late, and uh, it'll start in Denver for the first two. So I want to kick it to Rick because I was watching from the comfort of my home. Uh, Rick and his wife were actually in the building for this one, and uh, I kind of want to know, Rick, what was the atmosphere like? What were what were some of your takeaways? I want to see if they kind of mirror the experience that I was having in my in my living room. Yeah, I'm interested about that, too, because, um, well, so first things first, we were not expecting to go to the game. Um, I think we even probably said on the last podcast that not going to the game. Um, shout out to one of my oldest friends and listener of this podcast, Luke Nelson, for providing us with the tickets last minute. Um, shout out to Luke. Shout Thank out you to very Luke. much, Luke. It was amazing. Um we had a blast obviously you get a chance to go to one of those games there's been so as we talked about on the podcast uh, a couple days ago there's been so few of them um in recent history for the wolves it's just fun as hell and then the second shout out i want to do is to uh my boy josh Schuler, who i ran into in the concourse he's very complimentary of our um recent episodes on the pod so shout out Schuler, um big timberwolves fan seen him a couple times at these games um but yeah it was, no, it's nice. it was awesome to see him right before the game started in the concourse so shout out those guys um yeah so the atmosphere man um oh boy where do we begin i mean these nine o'clock here's the thing it's, it's similar to the last playing game against uh the clippers as in last season where it's a late start locally so this is a 8 30 start locally it's also a Friday night, so you got to imagine like large swaths of the um, arena filled with people that probably have gone straight from work to happy hour to the arena. So yeah. it's a it's a Pretty juiced, juiced up. up atmosphere. We could feel it the second we walked in to the arena. It just was it was lit. Um, and what I was saying, what Ashley said to me. And then I relayed this to you. The the vibe changed, obviously, throughout the game. But before the game started, um, it had... Ashley said it was a WrestleMania vibe, which I agreed with. It was a WrestleMania vibe. It was a monster truck rally vibe. Just keyed up. You know, like pure adrenaline. um, And just, it was rowdy, which was obviously fantastic. Um, Also, Dan, kind of reminiscent of a big-time Husker game. You know, Um, yeah. Well, l- let me uh, let me break in right there real quick. So with that energy, so I was texting you at the end of the first quarter and the Wolves had a one point lead. 
And uh, yeah, that was, was not the energy at that point. <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, it just felt disjointed, and it it wasn't like an effort based thing. Like the effort was there. It just it it seemed like nobody really had much of a plan or like an idea what what was supposed to be happening possession to possession. So, do you think that early pre game crowd energy applied like an extra like layer of pressure that they had a hard time? kind of getting through in the first quarter do you, do you think it had any impact on the way that first quarter went versus the obviously the remaining three i i actually don't um okay. i think the team was just really and i think in uh with the with the benefit now of knowing the result we text about this during the game though like i just think the team was really keyed up um and you it, it was honestly as with the fact that the the game was taking place at a later time too locally um, the routine, the routine is a little off. It's kind of, this is a hilarious comparison. I look, anyone listening to this, I'm aware these are not similar things. I get it. <laughs> it's kind of, rem- but the only way I can really describe that is, you know, in the, the first couple of possessions, usually in the Super Bowl, look like that where it's like, you know, it's, it's not sloppy. It's just not, it's just disjointed. Like you said, because um, the moment is big, uh, the routine is off, and you're just trying to settle in. Yeah. Honestly, that's how I felt about both yeah. of the teams in the first quarter. Is it just, you know, all right, it's not the fucking Super Bowl, but you are in this incredibly loud arena. Uh, for both teams, a lot of the guys are playing in some of the biggest games of their lives. Um, OKC obviously is, just has a bunch of young guys, so they haven't even had the opportunity to play in games like this. The Wolves are the Wolves. Um, so, yeah, I, to me, that was, I didn't feel like they were picking up on that. Maybe they were, I think they just were as pumped up as the crowd was in hindsight. So I think that's what led to them, um, you know, just playing a little timid or disjointed in that first quarter. Yeah, Dagnell had the uh, end of first quarter um, interview on the ESPN feed, said the same thing. He was like, yeah, we just need to settle down settle in like everything is so frenetic and everything is so kind of out of control and that's how it felt it was uh but i mean i want to give both teams credit using words like that you would assume what you saw was like really bad basketball in the early stages of that game i did not feel that way i didn't feel like it was bad ball it was just not crisp that's like the best way i can put it it wasn't crisp but i thought both teams played really hard in the first quarter so anyway continue oh they Definitely played really hard. I mean, that's just undeniably true. Um, they both were clearly super interested in winning that game, which is exciting. I mean, I think it no was, doubt. again, we keep, I keep referencing this dude. I mean, he's just one of the goats. But I think Nate Duncan was talking about the, I think it was him, the Toronto game against the Bulls and just kind of getting that sense that Toronto just, it didn't bug him that much to be losing that game. And uh, that that was just, I mean, clearly yeah. not the case for both of these teams. I think they both, for for their own distinct reasons, really desperately wanted to win this game. And um, just again, I mean, even I mean, look, if you're a neutral observer, this this game was not like a feather in the cap of the plan. But I I suppose for us, I mean, it's just even though it was a thirty point game, if you understand the baggage of the Timberwolves franchise. You understand that even though I'm mean, what was it ultimately a twenty five point win, um, until probably yeah, the five yeah. minute mark of the fourth quarter, 
the expectation is still that we're going to figure out a way to lose this game. So, um, but, but that also made it like, so that there wasn't going to be, first of all, like now that they've won last year, the playoff, uh, the plan and we're here and this team is obviously less beloved than last year's team. Um, you're not going to have a moment like Patrick Beverly jumping on the scorer's table, but also, you know, because they're up so big, you know, with five, six minutes to go in the fourth quarter, it, there was a long period of time for people to really process the fact that the team had won the game. So it didn't culminate in like the buzzer goes off and everybody just goes nuts. It's like everybody kind of in their own way in those last five, six minutes kind of came to terms with the fact that we won the game. And, uh, so that that was awesome, but I'd like to Dan. I think it's interesting to talk about probably what they were, what the broadcast had to say about some of these things because um, in the arena. So where I want to go with this first is the the energy, the vibes, the the wave that we were all riding. Um, it was obviously rowdy, like I said, monster truck rally, but um, distinctly the vibe around Rudy Gobert um, with the fans. I mean, I have no idea what they were talking about on the broadcast or even I didn't get a good view of the bench, so I don't have any concept of what the body language is like there. But the the crowd was a decidedly anti-Rudy crowd. And no, no. Did they no, boo? It just was a very timid, just okay. a very timid okay. applause. Good, good, good. And um, a lot of golf clapping. Kind yeah, of if that. And then, you know, everyone, this is the thing is even when he's dominating the second half, it's just like, it's Rudy, man. We understand this at this point. It's like, it's going to look the way it's going to look. And um, there is kind of this expectation because he's so big that like anytime someone scores in the paint and he's on the court, it's like, you can just kind of audibly hear throughout the whole arena, like Rudy. God, And it's like, Sometimes that's warranted. Uh, honestly, more often than not, it's yeah. it's really not. Um, same with like an off, like a uh, if a other team gets an yeah. offensive rebound, you know, sometimes it's warranted. Oftentimes it's not. But that energy, until it just really turned around in the second half, was toxic. I thought, uh, not a word I used a lot. And I'm not even saying that, saying that to say that it's undeserved or anything like that. It just it just really was like everybody was every little knit, every little thing, everybody was ready to jump down his throat. And when there's like 20,000 people, it's a lot. And so what I'm wondering, Dan is like, could you feel that through the screen? They talk about it all on the broadcast. And I mean, it was just one of those Minnesota sports things where it's like two things are true. Everybody is justified in feeling that way. And it's also not helping. Yeah. No, they didn't mention uh, any kind of toxicity in the building or um, lack of fan support, you know, for Rudy. They mentioned how how keyed up the crowd was early. And then the thing I picked up on in the first half, but I thought it was more a reflection of just how weird that first half was for a while. Um, there just was like a, a timid nature to the crowd. You know what I mean? Like there was definitely applause and, and got, you know, fans were engaged. But it wasn't... Uh, like a consistent, you know, roar or, you know, the defense chance and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't on every possession. So like it, it kind of, I would say right before the game, you could hear just how fucking loud the building was. And then between the start of the game and halftime, it just kind of slowly tapered off with like minor peaks in like certain moments. And then 
And then in the Accurate. second half, it felt like um, there was a point in the third quarter. Uh, maybe it was either the it was either the first or second time we got the lead to seventeen. That's where it was like a sustained fan support. Like from that point to the end of the game, it felt like the fans had really wrapped their arms around you know the situation and the team, which is probably because they finally believed the win was coming. But um, but to your point, I find it interesting because like that dunk, uh, that obviously the alley oop dunk that Rudy had from cat um that to me what i mean highlight highlight play of the season agreed and i felt like a really i don't know this probably sounds kind of crazy and woo woo but i felt like it was a really important play specifically for rudy because the roar that came from the crowd at that point because that's when the game felt like it was it was probably the win was probably in the bag after that exact play and the crowd was roaring and OKC called the timeout and Rudy was directly involved. And it had come off him having probably four or five possessions within that quarter that were really strong plays from Rudy. It felt like that was what put everything that happened behind the team. And during the game, every all everybody on the bench and all the players, like you wouldn't have believed that there was any issue with Rudy Gobert. Um, there was a lot of support and backslapping and, you know, dapping them up and stuff like that. Uh, but after that play specifically, I felt like collectively both the team and the fans had gotten over it. Like it was over. Well, it's a weird thing where like he obviously was the one to be suspended. He's the one that threw the punch. He is responsible for um, his behavior, both in that moment and also whatever he does to rub his teammates the wrong way throughout the whole season. But at the same time, these guys all have social media, obviously, and the this is i mean it's just this is our life right now in in the year of our lord 2023 is all of those things are true but also the amount of shit you get since everybody in the world including us we're talking into microphones everybody in the world has a microphone either literally or with their smartphone is like the reaction is disproportionate so it's like yeah rudy annoys us yeah Rudy punched his teammate and should have gotten suspended. We're, we're the ones that are, you know, giving the punishment for that, you know, on top of that, then you have untold millions of people just shitting on the guy, you know, and like, we can all see that. And so I even could feel it in the arena. It's such a weird position to be in, to be, um, to feel like almost like a family member of this guy um, that you don't know at all um, does not have history with the team is making a ridiculous amount of money, all of those things. But like just on a human level with the amount of shit that the guy takes and has, has taken the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you could, you feel this way too, but like for me, I just, I, I had a real interest in him doing well just because it was like man it's just it's it's almost like the westbrook thing where like is a lot of this a result of the way that westbrook is and what he has done absolutely does anybody deserve to have the entire world shitting on you regardless of what you've done no and so you just are like i just you know i just could really feel it in that first half i was like man i just yeah I just 
first of all, it's great for us as the team, but also just individually, it's like, man, this must have been a pretty hellish year. Like, I just want this to, just want this to work for this guy. Yeah. Well, and I have two points I want to bring up to you, Rick. The first is I completely agree with what you said about Rudy. Um, the Westbrook comparison is really apt. Nobody is benefiting from these guys struggling and getting shit on. Nobody's benefiting from that. Um, I guess you could say the people that, you know, professionally or otherwise, like, you know, kind of make their make their bread on shitting on people. Maybe they get something out of it. But nobody's being benefited by guys being bad, you know, or struggling. The second thing I want to say is, and this is something that we'll have to monitor going forward, um, as soon as the the superstar trade market got so out of whack with uh, the picks, the swaps, and the players that are necessary to land a lot of these guys, the pressure that gets applied on every single trade, like the front office is is oftentimes faceless and sometimes nameless and faceless. Like most fans probably don't even know the name of most GMs in the league, you know, um, even if they knew the name, they, they couldn't pick them out of a lineup. So although the GM and the front office as a whole, like has to kind of wear that shame, if a trade doesn't work, the player is the one that everybody knows. So like, if it doesn't work, the player is going to get all the right. fucking heat for that. And to be honest, like it, this didn't used to be the way that it was. And it's not you and I, you know, <laughs> uh, it's not you and I aging to where it's like, well, in the nineties, this wasn't, it's not that. No. Well, Dan, I can bring up a good example of how recent it was. Not that is nobody says this about Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. That's not the first line on their obituary is like, can you believe that Brooklyn traded Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the pick that became Colin Sexton, which became Kyrie Irving. Like nobody says that about those guys. No. That's actually, that's a good modern example uh, of what I'm talking about. Um, but trades just used to be, they, they were more reasonable. And so nobody had to mortgage their entire future for a decade and bleed every role player out of their their team to to get one of these trades done. So it does suck though. Like, because again, from the fan perspective, especially when you're the, the fan of a team like the Timberwolves and you go, man, we... Like we felt really good coming off of last year yep. and you took all our fucking future picks, which as a Timberwolves fan, I know are going to come into play and probably be valuable and necessary at a certain point. You took a bunch of guys I loved off the roster. You bled out that whole joyous team from the year before. And we did all that for you. So if you can't do it, there's just a level of vitriol that I think it's under it misunderstood by people who like, well, and Dan, I want to add to that too, because that is that what you just said, that's true of any star trade, but what's even more unique about the situation for us in Minnesota is we also, the fans have been riding with this franchise through ineptitude. So it's like, it's, it's also the fact that like we had that joyous season that you said, and there was so much shitty stuff leading up to it that we finally, you finally gave us a team that we could stand behind. And then yeah. we decide to tear that apart. Mm-hmm. No, I, and I didn't mean to spend as much time as we did on, on the Rudy trade, but let's, um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, Rick, cause you were in the building. This, these are just like kind of notes I had made throughout the game. How did you feel Ant looked last night? Uh, I think you'll have a better answer for me than that, just because of where, where we were stationed on the, the court. But 
or in the arena rather um what what was really impressive about it and this is this is the thing that has been really impressive about him this season particularly but as he's grown in his career that he is this is something that's unique about him relative to his peers is that we even said this coming off the Lakers game where he couldn't score. He had a bad game. We were still complimenting the defense that he played, right? It didn't completely mean he mm-hmm. was a zero in all facets of the game. He clearly was not still, to me at least from what I could see, was not, he still didn't have that that kind of, that ant magic. But what is really separating him from a lot of his peers and his age group is that he can still be really impactful in other facets of the game. And so he shot the ball inefficiently, but he filled up the stat sheet and provided great defense and energy and those timely ant plays, you know, thinking about that five point run he had. Um, so that is just, it's so unexpected. This is that, that aspect yeah. of his game is probably the most unexpected thing. Like when you think about the fact that a reasonable comparison that people had for him was uh Dion Waiters, Lou Williams, like these microwave scoring guys. The fact that he's like a and then the upside of that being like, oh well maybe he could be like Bradley Beal. You know, like if he's really good, he'll score a lot of points and that's pretty much it. What is so unexpected and such a pleasant surprise from him at 21 is that he fills the fills the stat sheet up in so many other ways that is it's it's honestly shocking. So like the fact that, I mean, you tell me like he didn't look like he was moving great. He didn't have that magic, but I mean, he was hitting the glass. He was making he was making the easy pass, which led to him getting a lot of assists and playing his typical great defense. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. First thing I noticed as soon as the broadcast came on and showed Ann on the court, I was like, well, I've never seen him wear a like basically a sleeved shirt on his jersey. Yeah, I was like. I was like, that's not good. That means he's covering some kind of <laughs> some kind of gadget that's that's attached to that <laughs> shoulder. Um, and no, you're absolutely right. Like, absolutely uh, did not have that magic. He he obviously did not feel comfortable attacking the rim um, as frequently as he normally does. The shot looked affected by his shoulder, and I couldn't agree with you more. It was such a mature performance. He played 39 minutes. He had timely buckets. He made good, smart passes. He limited turnovers and he crashed the glass. Like he impacted the game, even when it was so clear that he was hampered, which um, to your point about players in his age group, I was as impressed with Ant last night as I am when I see him go for 40. Like, I mean, I thought that was just, and it's a really good sign going into, and we're not going to get to this yet, but going into the series against a team as good as Denver, because You have to have, you know, we talk about it all the time and it sounds cliche, but it's so true. You have to have more than one gear because if teams are going to try and take away the thing they know you want to do, you got to find a way to impact the game in other ways. Um, And he did a great job that last night. I thought he was excellent. Um, Yeah, I love that you said the more impressive than him going for 40. I agree because him going for 40 is just a manifestation of what God gave him. You know, and but him playing a game like this is a manifestation of his maturity and the work that he has put in. And so, you know, I've always been the type of guy to be like, but there's really nothing to brag about if you're just naturally 
good at something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're like, I, I don't know. I just am naturally good at it. You know, it's right. I, I, I'm, but on the other hand, you, you do feel a lot of pride when you had to work yourself into being good at something, you know, because it's like you did that. And so did, he definitely did not come out of For the sure. box, you know, having this ability and the wherewithal and awareness of the overall game to be able to do this and to be able to do it at 21 years old when he's as raw as he is. I agree. It's one of the most impressive performances he's had in his career. All right, we got a couple more player things to get to, and then uh, and then we'll wrap on a couple of things. Um, I want to finish with uh, with Cat, so we're we're gonna get to this. Kat. Is the uh, preeminent Carl Anthony Towns fan podcast? Anybody yeah, that we might have to just change the fucking name of the podcast. Anybody that has known us personally knows this. Anybody that's listened to this podcast knows this. Um, Golly, um, but this is this is the place to go. I texted Dan last night. Said we are in unprecedented territory for the two of us with Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so why don't you yeah. take it away, Dan? Explain. Yeah, explain let's why, let's why we're there. Well, let's finish with Cat. I want to go one other place before we get to Cat. Um, no, this is real quick. Uh, flowers to Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, no unbelievable, doubt. unbelievable defensive performance. He was given the first start of the year. Uh, apparently that was Tim Conley's idea that he gave to Finch and Finch took, um, he guarded his Finch Finch talk about an emotionally intelligent guy, Finch, because first of all, he knew how bad Rudy needed this game and he knew how bad Tim Conley needed the compliments in the press conference. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. He's, he's really like playing this situation, uh, you know, like a, like a violinist. That, that was um, some management shit. That was some it management really was. Shit. It really was. Um, but no, like I thought it was interesting that, that Finch started him. I didn't expect it. I'm sure you didn't either. Um, and then to see him and they, they brought it up, you know, arguably too many times on the broadcast, he was guarding his cousin, him and Jake, just Alexander are cousins. Um, but he was so incredible defensively. And it actually, this is one of those games where, um, you know, you hope that there's a bleed through to the series that's coming up, but like that had to be like one of the most confidence building games for Nikhil Alexander Walker of his entire career, probably arguably the most. Um, not only does he get the start, he gets the hardest defensive assignment. He does exceptionally well with it. His shot was falling at times. He made a couple of really good plays offensively. I, I think that was a really important thing to do going into going into the playoffs, because this is already going to be a thin rotation anything you can do to bolster the confidence of, of guys like Torian Prince and Keel Alexander Walker and Jordan McLaughlin, like is worth it because you're, there's going to be games where guys like that are needed to, you know, to knock down big shots or, or to give you good energy and good minutes. So I thought he was just unbelievable last night. Yeah. I think with the way that uh, J Mac has perhaps been Peter principled here. Um, yeah. He, you know, he may need to just Nikhil may need to play 30 minutes a game in the playoffs because of, like you said, our rotation. And I think in this first game on Sunday, uh, Jay Mack will get a first shift because you got to at least see if with Denver's bench being so shitty, if this could be a matchup where you could sneak eight minutes a game out of Jay Mack, but you'll know right away. Yeah. You'll know really right away so. yeah, um, really... whether or not you can, but it's just, um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, Nikhil, man, what a steal for us. Um, and it's a testament to him because he was not any type of asset. If he 
if if Utah believed he he is um, who he's been for uh, the Timberwolves, they wouldn't have gotten rid of him. He certainly would have been wouldn't have been a throw in. He is definitely the type of piece where you're haggling about it because you know we're taking the older guy in Mike Conley, even though that has obviously worked out tremendously for us. Um, you know, you could have just said like, "Hey, Mike Conley for D'Lo with those picks, let's call it in." But to really make a point to be like, we need to get another dude that's, you know, 25 or under. Like, it's just, it's a necessity for us. And to hold that line, especially negotiating with a team that, um, you know, you did not hold the line on <laughs> six months earlier. So No, no. <laughs> no, I just, I wanted to bring that up well, because I'll, I thought oh, sorry, he'll be some... No, I was going to say, he's going to be somebody we talk about in the playoffs. You just mentioned it. He's probably going to get 30 a night minutes. Yeah, and what this allowed for, and this is what, this aspect of it, it's to be seen for the playoffs, but what that allowed for in this particular game was to really execute the stagger of uh, Rudy and Carl and have Kyle Anderson just always there at the four. So it was kind of, you know, just from a rotation Mm -hmm. standpoint, that became a necessity. Now the question is just going to be like, is that how they decide to do it against Denver? Because Denver is a lot bigger than Oklahoma City is, obviously. And so Kyle probably matches up a little bit better guarding Michael Porter Jr., you know. But we'll just have to see whether they pull that out of their hat also because the rotation is going to be so slim. And, um, yeah, and and they're going to need, you know, they're going to need everything they can get. They're going to need to obviously keep Carl and Rudy on the court at all times and uh, especially with foul trouble. So we'll see how they end up managing the rotation there. Yeah. And, and Rick did a nice job of setting the table for a conversation that we wanted to have about Carl Anthony towns. And I'll lead into that by saying Oklahoma city, we talked about it on the last episode, very small team. They don't have a center. You could argue they don't even have like a real power forward. Like Jalen Williams is like kind of sorta a power forward, but it's a, which one? The bad bad Jalen, yeah. He is a power forward for sure. He's definitely not a center. And the good Jalen Williams who plays power forward and is stubbornly listed as a power forward in NBA 2K is not a power forward. No, he's a three. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely not. Okay, so they played really small. We talked about the importance of us needing to assert our dominance when it came to the size that we were going to be playing with. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because, you know, we had a small rebounding edge, but it's not like we killed them on the glass. Uh, there were times that they were giving us, you know, especially Lou Dort was just giving us hell. Um, but I will say this um, to lead the conversation about Carl Anthony Towns. This is the third consecutive high leverage game that the Timberwolves have had this season. They had the final game against the Pelicans, which put us into the seven and eight game. We had the game against the Lakers. And then we had last night's game against Oklahoma City. And Carl Anthony Towns has been extremely good now for three consecutive games when the Wolves needed him most. He was undeniably the best player on the floor for the Wolves each one of those games. No I guess you could debate the Pelicans game a little bit with the way Ant finished, but I would still go with Carl in that game. And honest to God, this was the thing that uh, I can't remember if it was this game or the Laker game that you and I were texting about, but it was a, it was a level of maturity from Cat that you and I actually had said on previous podcasts, we did not believe he had the ability to develop. That was the biggest concern that we had was this 
this immaturity that he had carried into eight seasons within the league. And we had just punted on the idea that he'd ever be able to figure it out. And then you texted me last night after this most recent game and you asked, like, did we literally cut bait at the worst possible time where we waited it out with Cat for literally years? And as soon as you and I make a definitive statement that we're just out, we're done, no matter what trade him, he puts together these these three games uh, consecutively. So I guess I'll just ask you, man, how are you feeling about Cat just in general? And then I think this would be a good way to transition a little bit into what you think the Denver series is going to look like. Because more importantly, these three games are great. Does it continue forward? Ooh, that is a question. I mean, I mean, with how much conviction we had that they should trade him, uh, you would, you, it, it should stand to reason that we would probably be like, no, it's not going to continue forward. Um, perhaps that's why you shouldn't be the GM of a of a team that you were a childhood fan of. You know, <laughs> it's not a great idea. It's too close. Too close. Um, too close. But yeah, listen, that I think that's a real. To me, that's a real open question, man. Um, And one of the things also that we had been baking in that maybe we didn't articulate, but we've been baking in to the conversation about whether he would ever get it. And when you cut bait on a guy that you believe is not ever going to get it is this is what happened with Andrew Wiggins is oftentimes you have led somebody just you've raised them to the place where they can now do this, but they have to go somewhere else to, to realize that, you know, um, there's just really few examples that I can even think of, yeah. of a dude that is stuck around with one team as long as cat has. And later in their career was able to flip that switch while not needing a change of scenery. I would honestly, I need, I don't know any, as we're just sitting here talking extemporaneously, I would need to look that up. I don't know. I can't think of any, but to me, that, that is damn near enough to spook me away from executing a trade like that. Because you go, we talked about this a lot on the tough watch podcast of one of the fraught things of an OKC will hit this point, maybe as soon as this summer one of the fraught things about having so many young guys on your team and so many draft picks on your team is even if your intention is not to do this, you do become something of a farm system for other teams because you just can't roster that many guys. And then also when dudes get to their second contract, you can't, there's not enough money. Like, yeah, you can have a bunch of really talented 19 to 21 year old guys on your team because they all make, rookie scale contracts but you can't have all those dudes on your team for their second deal and often you know like i said you just become a farm system for other teams because you had to do the development you know it's like you had to put in those hours and then some other team just gets a guy and benefits from all the work you put into them and with a guy as talented as carl anthony towns the the idea that he could be yeah. mature enough to step into a secondary star role on an Anthony Edwards led Timberwolves team. Um, the possibility of that, it to me, now that we have the three games of evidence, which is again, it's not a lot, but he also hasn't been in a lot of big games. 
that is enough for me, Dan, to be like the chance that that's true. Yeah. Is greater than, and the upside of that, the upside of that is greater than a trade return. I think for me at this point, but a lot of that will fall in how he plays in the Denver series, because if, if the Denver, if the Denver series reveals that it's absolutely the guy that we traded um, on the podcast two weeks ago, then, you know, then we have a real conversation and it becomes a difficult thing of balancing. It's like, all right, well, we saw him be the same old cat against Denver, but then again, we did see those three games before. Um, But right now he's at least made it a conversation for us, which um, like we said in the last two episodes, we're not just trying to trade the dude off the team because we don't like him. Um, It's just, he hasn't performed in those big games and he's got this goofy personality. And so you go like, is he ever going to do it? But now that he has demonstrated over three games that he can do it, He's putting our feet to the fire. Yeah, for sure. And and the other piece that you didn't mention there is that we find, I mean, financially we have a money problem yeah. too coming. So it's like, that was another part of it where it's like, it's likely if you don't think this is a title contending team, it's likely you need to try and get a chunk of this money out. Um, I will say this going into the Denver series. So again, I give cat all the credit in the world. These were three big time games, especially for a guy who hasn't hardly touched playoff basketball. Um, these were huge games for him, and, and he performed incredibly well. And really importantly, Dan, I want I want you to touch on this because you could probably see it better than me on the screen, is the best since probably they had the one really great game against Indiana earlier in the season where the two of them, the virtue of having the two mm-hmm. of them on the court at the same time was obvious. In the third, third yeah. and fourth quarters of this game, it was the same thing. We, I talked to you about, oh, this is the best they've flowed in a long time. What I really meant was um, big to big. It was the best big to big action that we had. Yep. Well, and to be honest, Rick, like it was the Oklahoma City game last night is not. You can't look at that game and then try to map that over playing really anybody else that's in the playoffs. And so, but what you'd need to do is you need to take away basic things. It's like the confidence that's built winning big at home in a big moment, the confidence that's built having to Alexander Walker play a star defensive role, the big to big action that is not going to be available against any other team in the league because no other team in the league goes without a center or any bigs on the, on the roster, but it worked in that game. So you can carry some of these things forward the thing that I'm looking for in the Denver series when it comes to Cat specifically is I know I've gotten to a point with Cat where I do believe that he will perform. This will not be Memphis, you know, part two, um, last year's Memphis series. I think he will perform better than that. The difficult thing is in the Denver series is Denver's really good. And they also, you know, Jokic has kind of lived in Cat's head for a while now. And so it's the kind of series where when we talk about giving him credit for maturity, this is going to test it. Unlike any other series. will. honest to God, uh, maybe Memphis, just because there's so much energy in a Memphis series with the Timberwolves, but Jokic and him have battled so many times and Jokic. He's just crafty. He knows how to get under cat's skin. He knows what cat likes and doesn't like. It's just going to be interesting to see the composure element with Cat in this upcoming series specifically. He'll be tested immediately. We'll be able to see if these three games are an aberration or a turning of the page, like 
right away. <laughs> Maybe even just tomorrow night. <laughs> just, I mean, Dan, and that's to say nothing of the Rudy Jokic dynamic. Which no shit. We're, we've all been in the same division. So as many times as Cat has played Jokic, Rudy has played <laughs> Jokic that many times. You're it's right. Like, the only way we could make this more, you know, more of a... Incestuous? Yeah, would be if we could bring in <laughs> Steven Adams and uh, Yusuf Nurkic. And just be like, we just got all the Northwest sent. Like, Jokic, this is your chance to show beyond any reasonable doubt that you are the alpha of this group. Yeah, no but kidding. I, it's like it, it, oh, sorry, old yeah. school w, WF cage match kind of situation. It's a cage match. But the one thing that we know, I would say beyond a reasonable doubt, is that Tim Conley did not believe that Carl Anthony Towns could guard Nikola Jokic. There's just absolutely no other way to interpret the series of events of Tim Conley's career leading to the Timberwolves, leading to his first trade being trading for Rudy Gobert. So that, that we know. Um, And to me, while the, while he didn't build this team specifically to beat Denver, it's just natural because of how, how familiar he is how instrumental he was in building the Denver team and how quickly you transition to a new team when you go from one to another. I mean, he, he was doing draft preparation for the nuggets to all of a sudden just being like, Oh, I guess I'm the Timberwolves president now. Um, so there's a lot of conscious or subconscious matching, trying to match up against like, Oh, well, well, could we beat Denver with this? Like, I know Denver well. It's like you're planning against every team, but like he really knows Denver. So um, you obviously make a deal like that deal because you think it gives you a better chance against a team like Denver. Yeah, no, I think that's the exact way uh, to take it. Conley is intimately aware of what would be needed for a roster to compete and possibly beat uh, the Denver Nuggets. And he tried to construct that. I... I will say this going into the Denver series, and we'll be covering it kind of in real time as the series goes on, so I won't go you know, in a ton of depth here. But I told you on a previous conversation, I can't remember if we had it recorded on a prior episode, that with how wide open the West is, Denver and Memphis being the one and two, um, this is not a normal season where the one for sure, and, and a lot of times the one and two in any conference are just juggernaut teams that just couldn't be competed with um, with the teams that are, you know, six through eight in the conference or whatever. The Timberwolves are going to have a huge uphill climb, but I will say this. um, Denver does not scare me um, the way that like Houston scared me that, that year that we had Jimmy Butler and we made the playoffs. That Houston team petrified me. Um, And it it was a gentleman sweep four one in that series. This is not that for me. I actually think the wolves can compete in this series we're thin, which is probably the thing that worries me most is we'll get worn out both in games and throughout the series. Um, just not enough bodies to throw out there. But um, it's a it's kind of a perfect year. If This is why it was so important that we make the playoffs. You led this by talking about the energy in the building. Anybody who's not a Timberwolves fan or pays close attention to this team doesn't understand what the weight of yesterday was. Because the outcome, the other outcome, the loss of the season... That was 
not only did it feel like a real possibility, it would have been crushing <laughs> to lose that game at home and then the season just be abruptly ended. Um, and so this is this is kind of one of those series where I feel like we will compete pretty hard. Um, and I like that it's a you know an intra division kind of matchup because those can be weird. Um, and there can be other elements to those types of series. There's a level of familiarity. And uh and you and I both think pretty highly of Chris Finch as a coach. So I uh I don't know where are you at with this series going into it. Well, why don't we wrap Dan? I'm gonna ask you this question, and then you can just kick it right back to me. Head heart cojones in terms of the ultimate outcome of the series, and then we'll just wrap it there. Um Head is Denver in six. Um, Same. Heart is Wolves in seven. And Cajones. Yes. I mean, Wolves in three. Wolves tomorrow night. (laughs) Wolves in one. No, I honestly, if I was going to make like a bold prediction, weirdly, it wouldn't be a bold prediction in favor of the Timberwolves, even though this is a Timberwolves podcast. If I was going to make a bold prediction, it would be, yeah, it'd be Denver in four. Yeah, exactly. Like Denver, Denver is, is the new warriors where it's like, they have the switch, you know what I mean? They just flip it on and it's just like, where the fuck was this team for the last 40 games? <laughs> yeah, I agree. But you were right when you said that this is not like the Houston series. The main reason why this is not like the Houston series is that the league is just stocked with more players, more great players than they were at that time. So the difference between a one and an eight was yeah. a lot more significant from a roster standpoint than it is right now you could say the same thing about the eastern conference but that also means the one has to be stronger but like you know that miami team is not a very good team this year but they still do not have the roster of a normal number eight seed just like the timberwolves do not have the roster of a number a normal number eight the lakers do not have the roster of a normal Number seven, the fucking Warriors do not have a roster of a number six. And so it is very different. It's very different. And perhaps we will enter into an era here, whether it's this season, next season, or maybe it'll never come to pass that this plays out, even with seven game series, a little bit more like the NCAA tournament where you could, we could see an NBA finals of a six versus three. Yeah, I think. Quite honestly, that's probably where we're headed in, and and maybe as who knows, it could be this very season uh, that we're Warriors in at- right now. Could be the Warriors at six. It could be Philly at three. You know, I mean, there's just yeah, there's there's a lot of um, you know, parody was the word that got used forever. Where it's like there needs to be more parody. This is less parody. It's parody and execution. If you just look at the way the bracket broke down, really, what it is, honestly, and for a couple basketball junkies like you and I, it's probably the best possible outcome. It's a talent-rich league, but also there are a lot of smart basketball teams that like do interesting shit, both with roster construction and like play style and a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's like, I mean, you watch last night's game and it's like Oklahoma City, based on talent, like they shouldn't be in the spot they're in. But you can't deny that this is just like wild, fascinating to watch. It's like the roster and the rotation that they have is really interesting. Mark Dagnall seems like a really good coach. Oklahoma City has done a very nice job building out this roster. So um, 
so yeah, I just think it's it's that's what's probably going to lead to the parity more so than even the talent. I just think there's a lot of smarter teams. You know, even like a decade, decade and a half ago when you guys you and I would have talked hoops, there was like you could argue a third of the league was just like dumb as rocks, like just doing some of the I mean, dumbest dude, shit. Just look at the Timberwolves. Like our ownership down to coaching, down to players right now, down to infrastructure is there's not so much better. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not even yeah, it's like exponentially better on every yeah it's the franchise that not long ago was making under the deal tables between kevin McHale and joe smith um so <laughs> leading to a loss of yeah and that capital. was those were the gold that was the golden era that's literally the golden era of our franchise so <laughs> oh my god all right rick anything else you want to get off your chest before we end this not at all i think we're super yeah. excited for this the playoffs have begun as we record this right now um and the wolves made the playoffs yep. man so hopefully they, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good... They're veteran enough, honestly, that I think that they can put the season behind them, execute the cliche of it's a new season. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, perhaps yeah. this game, that game one is going to be super interesting because there is a scenario where we have the momentum and the legs from having just been in these games and getting used to playing every other night and Denver's not. So there's a scenario there where we could, we could steal one tomorrow, You're right. but there's also a scenario where we could get blown off the court be, be, for the very same reason. All outcomes are on the table in this series. Um, that's yeah. how I feel going into it. So Rick and I will be on, we'll record some episodes during the series starts tomorrow night, nine thirty central can't wait. And, uh, I'm really glad that we're going to have some more pots to do about the Timberwolves, man. We're going to have to, sh- yeah, How about it, this team. That's this what I'm saying. We're going to have to yeah. shift in off season mode awfully quick. So, uh, so yeah, have a great rest of the weekend, man. We'll talk to you soon. Go Wolves.